0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by LaCrosse Boots. LaCrosse Alpha Alphabrilli Pro delivers an athletic and glove-like fit that will hold the foot in place to prevent chafing and rubbing while on the move. Featuring hand-laid premium rubber over cushioning neoprene, LaCrosse Alpha Alphabrilli Pro boots are comfortable, durable, hunt after hunt, and season after season. For more information, visit lacrossefootwear.com. LaCrosse Boots done right since 1897. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 24, where we talk with David Blair on public land backcountry elk hunting. What's up, guys? Hope you're having a great day. It's elk season. It's officially elk season. So you know what that means. I'm gonna celebrate by cracking a beer. Yes, I can taste it. I can. I'm, I'm living it. I can't. I can't believe it's here. So, um, cheers to all you guys. Hope you're out there getting it done on. Public land, private land, over the counter units, draw units, whatever. Um, I just hope you're having fun. Hope you're having a good time because that's what it's all about. That's really what it's all about. So um, today we have a cool episode. We have David Blair on the show. And this is um, another one of those things where I reached out to somebody on. Rock slide one of the forums and met David that way. It's just something that I frequent, spend some time on every once in a while and get on there and and kind of talk to other guys, get the conversation going and and uh David had responded to one of the forums and I thought he was a really cool guy with some some good intel on backcountry elk hunting and and just wanted to get a hold of him and hear his story. So um really really knowledgeable guy um it's really just kind of an overview jam-packed episode of his kind of evolution as an elk hunter and then we get into some of the backcountry stuff we're talking about gear hunting alone solo public land we get into tactics calling kind of areas to look for digitally how he gets into these areas and and what he looks for as far as good elk sign and and uh just reading maps so it's just Everything you know, elk hunting. It's nothing too too specific in one you know one area. It's just a good inspiration uh, you know episode for those guys out there looking to take their first hunt or currently out there hunting and and just learning to uh, learning the ropes, picking up a few tactics. So it's it's been great talking with David. And uh, but before we begin, definitely if you haven't done it so far go subscribe go to uh go to nation.com. you can sc- subscribe that way god i can't talk today must be the beer <laughs> but uh you can subscribe on itunes stitcher Um, If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review. Love to hear from you. And uh, appreciate all the comments and feedback so far. Keep them coming. Keep them rolling in. Make sure you're following Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram. Follow Transition Wild on Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Putting out new content there. And then um, if you subscribe to TransitionWild.com, Give me your email, and I will send you the Colorado Beginner Elk Hunting Guide for free. And even if you're not hunting in Colorado, it's it's one of those things where there's a lot of good information on scouting and gear and and some tactics, and most, and most importantly, inspiration. So uh, go over to TransitionWild.com, subscribe. I will give you that for free. Um, as mentioned, it's elk season, so if you would be so kind and you like to elk hunt and you're excited as much as i am that elk season is here go pick up an elk season t-shirt um they're available for sale on my website for $19.99 five dollars shipping if you enter the code wild5 at checkout it will save you five dollars so you're basically only paying $19.99 for a cool ass shirt that i think you should wear uh around elk camp and brag to all your buddies so go pick up a shirt (laughs) that'd be much appreciated Um, other than that again stay safe out there hope you're having fun and uh let's not delay any longer let's get david blair on the line all right on the phone with us now we have david blair how you doing today david
1: Doing great, Adam. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really I'm really excited to talk with you. Um, you know, obviously we've never met before in person, but we kind of extra- exchanged some messages on Rockslide, uh, you know, a pretty popular western hunting forum and kind of linked up that way. So, I'm eager to kind of talk some elk hunting if you're up for that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. I'm getting excited about the upcoming <laughs> archery season. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I noticed, uh, or from you know, kind of our initial little conversation we had. You said you were going to be out this past weekend uh, doing some scouting and you know checking trail cameras. How how did all that go?
1: Well, it went well. We uh, set cameras up back in June. You know, it's a good distance from where we live, so we've been able to check them only once a month. Um, so we got down there. Set a truck camp up Friday night and hiked in Saturday. And, you know, we saw a big blonde bear down there in the Gila Wilderness, which was pretty awesome, Um, on our way to check our first trail cam. Uh, Actually, we checked a couple trail cams Friday night before it got dark that were closer to where we have our truck camp. And we've got a really cool picture of a cow out. Up close and personal, you can see her eyeball right there, checking the camera out. Thank God she didn't need it, <laughs> um, which was pretty cool. Uh, checked our other trail cam, nothing on it. So, uh, you know, it's luck in the draw, basically, where you set these cameras up in the wilderness.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> do you uh, do you think there's a little bit of effect with the kind of dry weather conditions and the drought conditions? because? Um, I know in Colorado, it's been really dry and it's probably similar to where you're at in New Mexico. Are you finding that's kind of maybe dispersing the animals a little bit or concentrating them more around water? What's your take on that?
1: Oh, my take, absolutely. They're concentrating around water. Um, the area we hunt, there's a deep canyon that's got a river down at the bottom. No place I'd ever want to hunt just because it'd be difficult getting one out from down there. But, um, we saw eight or 10 cows that finally started to move up into the area because everything's turning nice and green now. So my experience in this area in the past, um, it's a great rutting area, I just don't know that they spend much time in there prior to the rut, or even after the rut for very long. Um, So I think they concentrate around these water sources, the permanent water sources and once it rains, it fills some of these dry tanks up, and and then they just they start dispersing out, spreading out, uh, doing what elk do. You know, the the bulls they'll start getting away from each other in search of cows. At some point, coming up here pretty quick after they rub, and and that's that's what they do. You know, life of an elk.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's one of the things I'm interested. I I haven't been able to get back to some of my pretty remote camera locations over the past month. And I was a little worried because when I initially hung the cameras up there, there's still water. Um, but that was due to the snow melt still coming down in June, but, I know there was only like a week or two left of that, and I'm just wondering if some of those some of those areas will be pretty much barren by the time elk season rolls around because it's been so dry. And and maybe I should concentrate on some of those, uh, you know, creek and spring-fed kind of areas. I'm just I just don't know what to expect because I haven't been able to get back to some of those areas. So it's it's going to be interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're in Colorado, correct?
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah, do a lot of my hunting in southwest Colorado, so it's um, probably, you know, not not exactly similar, but, um, you know, a lot of characteristics to New Mexico, especially when you get real far south.
1: Yeah, and I've hunted south-central Colorado quite a bit. When I don't draw New Mexico, that's closest to home for me, so over-the-counter unit up in there. I'm familiar with uh, the Rio Grande National Forest, so it's probably pretty similar to the areas you hunt
0: yeah yeah got it um and while we're on that why don't you why don't you give a little background on you know where you're from where you live uh, currently and then you know what you do for a living if you can just kind of give us an overview of what uh what the life of David Blair is
1: Well sure I'd be happy to uh I grew up in Northeast Ohio my family did not hunt we fished a lot. Um, I had a knack for walking up on deer when I was a kid and a teenager in the woods, heading to the nearest lake to go fishing. And, you know, so hunting was always kind of in the back of my mind, just never had a chance to do it. And then I moved out here to New Mexico, in my early 20s. Um, my ex wife, her family all hunted, and I got started deer hunting with a rifle. And you know, it's been nothing but moving forward and progressing into bow hunter from there. Um, I'm a construction superintendent, just an average working Joe. We do a lot of commercial work, very little residential stuff. I work for New Mexico's largest and oldest general contractor. Um, so I, I really enjoy what I do and have the luxury of being able to take off the work when it's time to go hunting
0: yeah that's that makes it really nice yeah for sure that flexibility is key especially when uh we love to get away to the mountains for <laughs> multiple weeks at a time so that's that's gotta be nice perks of the perks of the trade there
1: Oh absolutely and a few three day weekends here and there to go check trail cameras and things like that you know so gotta love it
0: nice nice and you and you mentioned from our brief conversation that you had just got started hunting. In two thousand eight, is that correct?
1: Well, I started bow hunting in two thousand eight.
0: Okay, got I it. Started
1: rifle hunting. Yeah, I started rifle hunting in nineteen ninety five, and hunted for deer only. Didn't know what an elk was, being from Ohio. Um, and you know, rifle hunting just got too easy. I hunted with a seven mag. And killed nine deer in 12 years of hunting with a rifle. And the last year that I hunted with a rifle in 2007, a buddy of mine and I were elbow deep. I didn't know anything about the gutless method at the time. So we're elbow deep, field dressing, and bullets start ricocheting off the ridge 10 feet above us.
0: Oh, my God. And at that point,
1: yeah. And at that point, I looked at my buddy and I says, dude, I am a bow hunter next year. This is just getting too dangerous.
0: Yeah, wow.
1: And, and so as luck would have it, I put in for a deer and an elk hunt with a bow in 2008 and drew them both. And I've hunted with a bow ever since.
0: You fell in love. You caught that caught that addiction. You caught that itch getting close and... uh getting real personal <laughs> with the animals. I, oh, I'm sure yeah. that's that's got to be pretty cool, the transition from that.
1: Oh, it was. It, it was very cool. And, you know, I've had people try to talk me into bow hunting before that time and really never gave it much thought. But after that first hunt, uh, I was hooked. That's all it took.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I want to kind of get into – Kind of your whole story here, and just to kind of preface everybody that's listening, um, I was kind of searching around on Rockslide, and I kind of frequent those forums as often as I can. I came across a thread on solo kind of backcountry elk hunting, and some guy had posted a question like, "Should I go solo or not go at all?" And then you kind of chimed in, and you know, you've you obviously had some experience doing that. Um, but you know, I just wanted to kind of get your full full overview picture of kind of where you started and you know talk some strategy and you know how you've how you've kind of developed over the years to get to where you're at today you know we all don't we we myself yourself everybody out there we don't know all the answers but the kind of idea of this is to kind of share and showcase other experiences and how we can learn from each other so I kind of just want to cover everything from the beginning um but before we do that, is is uh, is Rockslide a pretty popular hangout for yourself? Like, are you on there quite a bit, talking with other people?
1: Well, I frequent it occasionally. Uh, I frequented several forums quite a bit from 2009 to probably 2013. Uh, Rockslide, Archery Talk, the Bow Site—they've mm-hmm. um, all got got a lot of great elk hunters on those forums and a lot of great advice but you have to learn how to weed weed through the the trash you know
0: (laughs) yeah yeah there's a lot of that i I, you know i used to be kind of active on archery talk but it's just gotten so some of those forums get pretty cutthroat you know but i think rock slide is is pretty legit you know everyone's there to for the most part to help each other and and kind of learn from each other um which is cool and and it was a really it's a really good resource still to this day on a lot of things um you know that's what's cool about it you get to meet all sorts of people you get to learn about different techniques strategy a little bit of intel and that's what's fun so that's that's kind of cool that it actually brought us together to kind of do this podcast today
1: absolutely and i've met some great friends that i've actually met on rock slide archery talk um uh, bow side, I've, I've met some great people there. And like you say, there's a lot of people willing to help for new guys like me that basically knew nothing about elk hunting or backcountry hunting. And uh, to me, Rockslide's slide's a place to go when you want to learn about the uh, backcountry style hunting. A lot of great information, great people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's, there's kind of more of that trend towards kind of the backcountry, put everything on your back or go in with the tent and a tarp or, you know, do that kind of, not necessarily solo, but maybe with a buddy. Um, solo is really cool. I definitely want to do that by myself here at some point, but, um, I feel like there's kind of a trend towards that backcountry, kind of get away from the roads and get after it sort of thing. Are, are you kind of seeing that same thing as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and there are many ways, as I've found out, uh, many different styles of camping in the back country. For an example, this past weekend, my buddy has a sawtooth teepee yeah. that he slept in. There were three of us that went to check trail camps. Two of my, my buddies drew the first hunt. I drew the second hunt in the same area. So we all went down together this weekend. So... JP, who also frequents rock slide, has a a sawtooth tent. Alan has a hammock with kind of like a a tarp that goes over it. And I have a a big Agnes, you know, so there's many different choices out there. You know, I mean, you just have to try a few and that's part of the fun of, of learning backcountry style hunting, you know, you 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 try what you think is gonna fit for you and if it doesn't work, well you're spending more money and buying something else. It can get quite expensive. But I've been relatively lucky on that front and bought some good gear over the years. So I haven't had to replace too many things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You buy it once, you buy it right. Um, yeah. So is that something that you kind of started buying pieces here, pieces there since 2008, or is that something that's been kind of recent over the past, you know, four or five years where you're starting to get more of the lightweight camping gear and, and teepees and, you know, maybe stoves, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, it actually started in two thousand nine a little bit because after that hunt in two thousand eight, and let me preface that preface that with I hunted from truck camp from two thousand eight to two thousand fourteen, um, and during that time, I would gather a little bit of gear each year because it is rather expensive. Yeah, um, and. Truck camp for somebody who's never been in the back country it, it's a great way to go until you learn learn yourself learn how you act and react to so, certain situations in the in the mountains because the you know the rocky mountains are unforgiving yeah you know and you, you better make sure you have the right gear before you decide to hike in five miles or seven miles or however far you're going to hike in because, um, there's no phone service in a lot of these places and there's nobody going to hold your hand out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the elevate, um, elevation, the evolution is, is really cool. Cause like, you know, like I said, you go from, you know, not hunting to rifle hunting, and then you go to rifle hunting to bow hunting, and then you go from, car camping next to a road to backcountry into the wilderness, right? Five miles deep and I think it's just kind of the evolution and what experience that you are after, and um, there's so many different ways to go about it, and it's just, you know, whatever you want to make of it or whatever kind of outcome or experience you're looking to have, it's, it, you, you can do whatever you want, but like you said, it's, it's knowing your limits, kind of crawling before you walk and run, and it uh, sounds like you've kind of seen that full evolution and transition all the way through.
1: Absolutely. And it's been a great ride all the way, I'm telling you, you know, these years of truck camping, um, you know, for instance, when the BT1 Kefaru pack first came out, I was one of the first in line for it. And I had to wait like everybody else. But up to that point, I had a Badlands 2200. Yeah. And I'd killed several elk and, and packed elk out in that thing and about killed myself. <laughs> now let's all understand there's no pack that doesn't hurt packing eighty yeah. eighty pounds plus. Uh but a Badlands twenty two hundred. I don't want to badmouth uh Badlands because they make great day packs, but you're five miles back in there. <laughs> you don't want to pack out in that pack. I did it once and it was not fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's the whole other thing that people kind of forget about. I mean, they, they know about it, but until you actually get in that situation, um, there's so many factors there of actually getting the game out, getting the meat out. Um, if it's warm, you're dealing with flies, you're rushing against the clock. Essentially, you got to have a game plan of what you're going to do with that meat after you've got it out. And like, there's just so many different things, um, going on there and it's, Part of, the, part of the realm of, of backcountry hunting for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. None of us want to go out there and lose meat. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know when you the hunting part, that's all fun and it's work, but when you put an animal down, that's when the work really starts, yeah. whether you're two miles from your truck or, or five or more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you get started with kind of this backcountry DIY, you know, maybe solo elk hunting? Is this kind of something that you've, um, obviously you've kind of gotten into on your own, but, um, you had mentioned you on the phone, you had kind of some certain mentors that you've kind of, you know, talked with and, and learned from. Tell us a little bit about that evolution of getting into more of the solo or, you know, backcountry style hunting.
1: Absolutely. Well, I have one mentor in particular, and let's keep in mind I started hunting when I was 32 years old. Started bow hunting when I was 44 years old, and my backcountry mentor was 15, 16 years younger than I am. Uh, but he'd been there and done that, and does it to this day. His name's Tomlin McConnell also known as Slim 9300 on some of the forums.
0: Is that how you met him?
1: Yeah, I met him on the forums. I've talked to him. I started talking to him on the phone. We started talking packs, tents, cook stoves, food, the whole gambit because he'd already been there and done that. So I was able to jump right into buying the right stuff. And when I was ready to do a backcountry hunt, I had everything I needed. And yeah. having a mentor like that is crucial. I mean, and common such a great guy, um, shares the information, uh, tells you what works, what doesn't work. He's tried many different packs and tents and tarps and, and clothing and, cook stoves and things like that. He was just a tremendous resource and I capitalized on it, believe me.
0: <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Cause mm. I, like for me, that's, you know, hunting wasn't unfamiliar territory when I moved from Michigan to Colorado, but you know, kind of the backcountry wilderness and then having all the gear, it was, it was pretty overwhelming, um, you know, to get everything that you need and, learning how to camp i mean i'd camped before but you know you're talking campgrounds that are pretty established or maybe some state parks where you've got kind of some luxuries there and you're not really far away from civilization it's a it's an entirely different ball game so i'm sure having somebody like that to kind of walk you through this is what you should do this is what you should not do spend your money here save your money there i'm, I'm sure that was a huge resource
1: absolutely and so, you know. This information is available out there on forums like Rockslide, you know. I mean, these guys have been there and done that, and they know what works. Now, there's a lot of things that are personal preference, you know, for instance, backpacks or tents or even your food. Yeah. Um, but you figure that stuff out as you go.
0: Yeah, yeah. What um, What were some of your, like, kind of initial struggles – you know, maybe the first couple times you were out there by yourself for some of these extended, maybe, you know, maybe you got into more of a weekend, long weekend hunts first before you went into maybe a week long hunt, but like what, what were some of those first initial struggles that you went through, um, when, with getting started with backcountry style hunting?
1: Well, I had the gear, so that was not an issue. The biggest struggle is finding the right place to camp and being close to the animals. So um, that's a big struggle because you're taking a chance. You're picking these places on the topo maps and Google Earth and things like that. And you're talking to various people about different areas and, you know, you get in there four or five miles and it's a ways to just, if you're not into animals or into elk, if, you know you've got to pack up camp again and move and now you're talking 65 70 pounds on your back and moving another three or four miles away setting up camp and and doing it all over again and hoping that you're finding the animals that that was the biggest struggle for me
0: yeah I can I can see that that's it's not easy um, you know figuring things out and I remember I remember um, you telling me on the phone too that one of your recent hunts, maybe a couple of years ago in Colorado, you had kind of just picked a, you almost picked a spot on a map, right? Like, like you were digital scouting and you're like, this spot looks good. And it turned out to be, you know, good, um, you know, in regards to yeah. elk movement and sign and, and bugling bulls. What, what's that process that you go through in order to kind of select that spot or maybe some things that you're looking for?
1: Well, I am looking for first off the habitat, Um, food, water, shelter, and space. So those are the first things I look for. If I'm looking for drainages that have water, I'm looking for benches along those drainages. I'm looking for multiple saddles where elk can come in and out of those drainages, uh, basically junctions, you know, with maybe another drainage on the other side of that ridge. Um, Food's always a crapshoot unless you talk to maybe people that hunt and live in the area and scout it. If you don't live in the area, that's the biggest thing. Um, If you don't live close to the area, all you can do is scout on the maps and talk to people you know talk to the biologists see what the elk are eating find out what the elk numbers are in a particular unit um there's a lot of questions that the biologist can answer for you the one thing i try to avoid when talking to a biologist where should i hunt because yeah. chances are that biologist is going to send everybody he talks to to those areas
0: yeah yeah that makes sense that's a good tip because they, they, you know, they're going to go off past experiences, right? Or, you know, maybe spots that they're familiar with or heard about. And, uh, yeah, there could, there could end up being a pretty good traffic jam in that area, I'm sure.
1: Exactly. And, you know, when, in an area that I deer hunt, um, it's that way. These game wardens are biologists. It seems like, you know, I used to have these areas to myself and now there's just an influx of people deer hunting these areas and I'm sure they're talking to biologists uh, because I sure didn't tell them about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Keep that, keep that a secret for sure. Um, Yeah. And you, you kind of touched on, you know, like go, one of the struggles was kind of like finding a spot to camp Um, in regards to like this spot that you had, you've had pretty good success in, or you went in blind and it turned out to be good. Like what, what is an ideal location of being close enough, but not too close. And then, um, you know, cause like I, I did that initially when I went in for my first archery elk hunt, I actually did go in solo by myself just for an overnighter, but I kind of did the same thing, picked a spot on the map. This is where, where I want to get to. But I was like in the bulls, <laughs> like I, I went right into the bedding area pretty much. And they were screaming around me the whole night. And I woke up to screaming bulls, you know, same thing. So like I was, I was almost too close. So what, what kind of, you know, ideal spot are you looking for specifically and what is kind of that zone or distance that you're looking for to set up that camp and be close enough, but not too far away?
1: Well, the area you described is where I want to be actually, you know, I do cold camps. I don't light a fire um it's very quiet around camp at night and I've had elk in camp at night bugling all night long all around me so I love those types of places because you don't have far to go to find them in the morning yeah but at the same time I don't want to be in their bedding area so I try to strategically strategically choose a ridge that I think might not be their bedding area might be a lower ridge than the ridges around you um, with water on either side or one side or the other long ridges. Um, those are the types of areas that I like to try to choose right there if, if they're available.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Now, um, uh, talking about that spot that you were in, you know, you, you had mentioned you had had like, you called in like 16 bowls or you had a lot of good activity in that area. What, you know, can you just like kind of describe that experience and, you know, maybe what specifically made that made that spot so good? I mean, you kind of touched on it earlier, but um, you know, just kind of describe what what you were going through in that spot and, you know, what why you would go there again or what you would do differently?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, um, this was a little bit different of a backcountry style hunt because I was limited, limited to my time in the, in the Elkwoods last year because of where my construction project was at. I didn't have time to take off of work, so I had to hunt weekend warrior style. So what I did, Colorado, as you know, has many ATV roads um, where you can get quite a ways back in there on an ATV and never see another person if you choose the right ATV trails. So what I did, I borrowed a good friend that I met up in Grand Junction, Colorado, borrowed an ATV, and I picked the spot on a map. It was the only creek in the area. And I said, well, I'm going to try that. And, you know, I have nothing to lose. I'm only hunting two days you know, on each weekend. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to go wandering around and hike way back in there. So I chose a spot next to a creek, you know, I'm driving up this ATV trail. And I see this perfect flat spot with some tall spruce trees for cover right there next to the creek, I stopped the ATV. And this was while I was out scouting in the summertime. And the first thing I noticed when I looked, got off the ATV and looked at that creek were elk tracks going across that creek and on up into the the side of the mountain there.
0: Oh, nice. So, so how far how far yeah. away was that creek off the road and, and where was that elk activity? Was it pretty close, like within a couple hundred yards?
1: Uh, it was probably ranging between 500 yards and a mile from the road, from the ATV trail. Got it. Um, and I I was camped right 20 yards off of the ATV trail and it was in, in a, in a place. And I learned this from truck camping. Um, I used to do a lot of hunting in places that looked so obvious that people would drive right past them. And I'd be in the elk a couple hundred yards off the road because nobody's hunting that stuff. Yeah. They drive, it's overlooked. They drive by and they want, yeah, they overlook it and they want to hike five miles back in to find out when essentially you don't always have to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I found so, the same thing.
1: Yeah. So I get into this area, perfect place to camp and I'm hunting right out of camp, across the Creek and up the side of the mountain. And, was, was
0: was that side of the mountain? Was that kind of aspens? Was it dark timber? Was it north fa- You know, north facing, south facing. What what were you kind of looking at as far as the uh, topography and and uh, orientation goes?
1: I'm glad you asked that. Uh, west side of the mount, west facing, uh, west side of the mountain. Um, the topography, a lot of blue uh, blue spruce, dark timber, and a bunch of deadfall. And this changed my mind about hunting Aspens last year. I typically don't (laughs) like hunting Aspens just because of all the tall grass and vegetation that grows over the down logs that are in there. Mm -hmm. And I, I came real close to tearing something in my knee several years back, walking through some of that stuff. Yeah. But in this case, yeah, this case, the, the deadfall in the black timber was just horrendous. I mean, it was deadfall everywhere. It would take me two hours to go 200 yards, you yeah. know, because you're climbing over stuff and trying to be quiet at the same time. And I, I, to this day, I don't know how I'll navigate that stuff with ease, but for a human, it's tough.
0: <laughs> they so. do. They're they're crazy. They're like ghosts through that stuff. They can make zero noise, get those big-ass antlers through, <laughs> through those tight tight areas. and. You won't even know they're there. It's pretty amazing.
1: Oh, yeah. So, you know, opening day, uh, which was last weekend of August in Colorado, um, I'm in my – I get out uh, out of camp before the sun comes up, and I walk up about 500 yards behind camp, and I'm in this Aspen pocket that's surrounded by black timber. And – I sat down, did a few cow calls and a bull bugles and he's screaming and he's coming. And I clipped my release. Here he comes. He's coming broadside. And he's thrashing. He's stopping and thrashing trees every 10 yards. And there's this one Aspen tree at 30 yards. And I just know I'm going to kill a big bull on opening day. And he stops and His vitals are behind the tree, and I'm at full draw at this point, holding, 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 and he peeks his head around that aspen tree, and, you know, I don't know if he saw me. I had the wind in my face, but after not seeing what he heard, he turned and bolted and never saw him again after that. Oh, man. So, yeah it was pretty exciting for opening day a bull screaming like that. yeah, that was definitely,
0: yeah, you can't ask for much more than that to have something that close that big. um and i I found the same thing too. like i I kind of look for those areas that where the aspens are kind of mixing with the dark timber, the spruces because it's kind of a good right. mix of cover and food, you know, so like the aspens are letting in a little bit more sunlight, so there's some grass in there, um a little bit more open, and then you've got kind of close bedding and and uh thicker cover with all the deadfall and it's cooler, right, in the in those in those dark timber areas. So I I've just found um really good kind of movement and success and just sightings in that area of of elevation and where the terrain, uh, in regards to where the aspens are meeting the dark timber, do you find that as kind of a good trend as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. Now, now the one thing that I learned last year as well, so this, this particular aspen patch was probably 200 yards wide, and maybe three or 400 yards long, surrounded by black timber. So I decided to set up right in the middle of it. And I found out real quick that you can hear those elk walking through that. These elk are coming in silent. You can hear them snapping logs and it gets exciting when you hear them coming and then you see them coming. Um, I called 16 bulls in the bow range last year. I did not kill anything, unfortunately. Um, A few things went wrong. They saw movement. They winded me, heard me, something, but it just fell apart at the last minute. I had one bull at 15 yards, his head down in the tall grass, and I just know he can't see me because I cannot see his eyes. So I start to draw, and somehow he saw that jump turned, and he was out of sight before I could get back to full draw, so wow. well that's part of our right there,
0: yeah yeah oh yeah i've I've been there, done that, I had a lot of swings and and misses last year myself, and just blown blown stocks and blown encounters but that's that's archery hunting that's that's definitely gonna happen and if it hasn't yet um you haven't been doing it long enough for sure um are you the are you uh, the are you the type of guy who's kind of more of a running gun kind of calling and and covering the miles or are you kind of you know, concentrating on some of these spots where you know they're there, you know their sign, you know they're hanging out there, and you're just kind of working those kind of smaller, uh, dissected areas, so to speak. Are you kind of close quarters? Or are you putting on the miles?
1: That depends on the the sign that I see. Yeah. And and the smell. Believe me, you can smell them when they're when they're close. Yeah. Um, if I'm not seeing a lot of sign, I keep moving till I do see sign. Um, you know, when they're not talking, they're hard to find. So you have to pay particularly close attention to the sign tracks elk poo. Um, you can, it smells like an elk barnyard if they've been there, you know, so, um, if they've been there, that doesn't mean they're still there, but you can start working the areas methodically until you find them is what I've found. Now, if I'm not finding fresh sign or hearing elk talk, I'll run and gun like everybody else and cover some miles. Yeah, and that you know boots are a huge deal on that. So yeah, make sure you have good.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's that's essential. Um, one of the things I'm kind of excited to do a little bit more of this year, just because you know, obviously I have the luxury of 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 living in elk country, so it's just out my back door uh so to speak within a half hour hour drive I can be at some of these locations but um one of the things I'm looking forward to this year is just kind of doing more kind of like early morning hunts before work and then you know maybe busting out of work uh early a couple of days a week and and kind of getting back into these some of these spots but I, my kind of strategy for some of these limited time hunts is that I'm just going to kind of be working these roads. And I don't know if I told you or not, but I work for quiet cat. We make the electric mountain bikes, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to get, I'm going to try to get on, you know, parked. I'll throw the bike off, run some of these ATV trails and crank out a bugle here. Uh, If I don't hear anything, you know, maybe I'll go um, half a mile further throw out another bugle or some cow calls and just kind of work the roads that way for some of these limited time hunts have you have you kind of done the same thing where you're you're just kind of traveling these rows listening and then moving moving along that way
1: well actually that's a very controversial st- subject since you brought that up at least on the forums yeah but it works uh I've done that and I've found elk like that in these overlooked places where the ATVs go screaming by or the pickups go screaming by and don't even stop and give it two thoughts. Yeah. But it can be, it can be a great way to find elk when you're on limited time and you want to cover some ground and you don't want to waste time because you don't have that time to waste. It's a great strategy. And particularly if you can be in there before the sun comes up. And and using that strategy. Absolutely. I would recommend it for those who don't have the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I th- yeah. I think uh, what's his name? They call him elk nut like Paul Paul Medell. Is that his name? He, he I think he's talked that's, about that strategy sometimes and that's how he he kind of, you know, concentrates his. His, uh, hunting, you know, especially unlimited time over the counter public land. It's just one of the many strategies he uses and, uh, you know, in addition to his calling in, in, in that whole regime. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to try some of that out and he seems to have good success with it as well.
1: Absolutely. And I've talked to Paul many times on the phone and he is one of my elk mentors. So, oh, cool. um, yeah, uh, yeah he he has definitely taught me a lot over the years and helped me along where I've struggled and confirmed certain thoughts that I've had or not, you know, Um, but he's been a great, great guy to talk to and bounce ideas off of because he's got a lot of experience and, you know, I, I don't take others' experience lightly. You know, I'm, I've been at this for about 10 years now and there's guys been doing it for 30, 40 years. I'm going to listen to what they tell me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then you
1: kind of develop your own style based on, you know, you learn from other people and then your own experiences. And eventually you you've got your own style that might be a mixture of a bunch of styles.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just kind of go after it. You can only you can only talk so much. You can only read so many forums until you actually get out there and do it. That's when you're actually gonna really soak it all in and really learn um, a number of things from you know just becoming comfortable to finding out to calling to what to do in this scenario, all that good stuff. Um, have you uh, have you kind of had any? Any takes on, you know, being uncomfortable, like, have you had any kind of scary moments or you get lost or, you know, when you're solo, is there anything that's kind of happened that's been kind of out of the ordinary or, you know, just stuff that you've kind of been uh, in a certain situation that's a little bit dicey?
1: Well, actually, in 2012, hunting the Gila Wilderness, which is where I'll be hunting this year, um, didn't know anything about the area. Uh, just knew it was a, a good unit that's chock full of bulls and good bulls at that. If it's a wilderness only unit, you can walk in, horseback in, get dropped off horseback or mule or whatever. So there was a fire down there that previous year and I've been reading a lot of people are going to hunt the burns. So I concentrated on the opposite side of the unit and found a couple water holes on the Google Earth maps and topo maps and things. And so day three or day four, I think it was I had a couple buddies that came down and hunted the weekend with me. And after that, uh, I was on my own at that point. And I was hiking into this water hole. And I saw three hunters coming down off this ridge. So I just stopped and watched which way they were going and they crossed down through a creek and up the other side and out of sight. And I happened to look up to the left. There's pretty big, uh, blonde cinnamon looking bear up on top. And he just kind of meandered off over the hill, kind of in the direction that I was wanting to end up. And I'm side across the face of this mountain and I get on the other side into the drainage and I start coming up the drainage and all of a sudden there he was by 10 paces. Staring me down, clicking his teeth. It was very nerve wracking. Um, I carry a sidearm when I hunt solo. It just gives me ease of mind, you know, yeah. for lack of a better, term. I just, I feel better. I sleep better at night uh, knowing that I have, have a chance anyway. Yeah. But so I lowered my bow down on the ground, leaned it on, on against my leg. And as I'm coming up, I, um, I draw my weapon and point it at the bear, aim it at the bear. And I'm thinking to myself, don't you charge me bear. I'll shoot you. I don't want to shoot, you, but I'm going to shoot you. If you charge me, if you take another step, you know, all kinds of thoughts going through your head and it seemed like an eternity, which was probably in reality, 15, 20 seconds, maybe. And then all of a sudden he turned and, and bolted and, and I'll tell you what, what a relief to see his hind end leaving.
0: Oh, I bet. I bet. That could be uh, yeah. that be intense.
1: Yeah, he was a big bear, well over 300 pounds, I'm guessing. He was big.
0: Yeah, is that something that... To- it's it's kind of tough to get used to being on your own. Like there's I, I know when when I go on some of these long hikes or I'm by myself or I've done an overnighter, it's a little bit um in the back of my mind it's always like what if, you know, like what if I break my leg or what if something happens? Um you know, you kind of lose that sense of security in a certain aspect. Is that something that, you know, you kind of had a tough time getting used to or you know, was that something where you you prefer the solitude over hunting with a group or a partner. What's, what's kind of your take on that?
1: Well, I do pre- prefer the solitude. Absolutely. But however, the, you know, I've been hunting solo since 2015 in the back country, packing in. And the first couple of years were a little bit unnerving when you start hearing a uh, log snap around your camp at night and you're in your tent and you don't know <laughs> what it is. Uh, it's, it's a little bit unnerving, no doubt about it. But at the same time, you have to face your fears to conquer them. You know, I mean, uh, you just have to be smart about how you do things. The biggest thing in elk country, which is also bear country, cat country, in some cases, wolf country, you have to be prepared for the unexpected. And the biggest thing I tell people is don't even put a cliff bar in your tent. I hang my food 75 yards from my tent. Yeah. It's a pain in the rear end to go over there and pull it down out of the tree. Every time you want to cook a mountain house meal, I know those mountain house meals are sealed, but bears have a good sense of smell and I just feel much better knowing that I don't have any food in my tent, you know, and I might throw a couple sweaty shirts, you know, I'll take a couple extra shirts with me and hang them outside around my camp and and pee around my camp a little bit, you know, mark my territory, so to speak. Uh, And that gives me a little bit of a peace of mind, you know. I've never had any issues in my backcountry tents, setups, my camps. Uh, So, you know, it took me two years to get used to that, being out there by myself. Because if something happens, you know, you're out there alone. Uh, There's nobody to help you. So you have to be smart about things
0: yeah yeah for sure for sure and and what what are you using for navigation are you using onyx maps are you using gps uh traditional maps what 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 are you going with
1: well i took a class at rei on compass reading and map reading and i just couldn't get the hang of it now i already had a gps I, I have a garmin 16 uh or it's a 60 CSX, and I love that thing. It's never failed me. I've had signals where others haven't uh, in places. I just love that GPS. I make sure I have spare batteries. Make the only, thing, the only time I turn it on is to mark camp, mark my truck, maybe mark some water holes and elk down, um, but I don't leave it on for tracks or anything like that. I'm just interested and marking certain points, mainly my camp, my truck and an animal down, you know, or where you're, you know, if you're hearing elk bugle in a spot, but they're off in the distance and then they shut up, I might mark those spots like that, you know, um, but definitely I'm a big believer in a GPS and, and I, you know, and what made me a believer in a GPS 2009 my second year elk hunting hunting Colorado um I thought I knew my way around the woods and I got to following bugling elk and the next thing I know everything started looking the same it was cloudy no sun to tell what direction was what and I felt lost for a good 45 minutes oh wow and can't popped out popped out on an 18 or a forest road And my truck happened to be 500 yards up that forest road. So I, that was a scary moment for me right there for sure.
0: Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. GPS is everything. I use Onyx maps. I really like it. Um, you know, it's been a game changer for me just as far as, you know, what you can do with it and the topography and marking spots and running it without cell service. It's it's really cool. And, um, you know, so that's, that's good to know that you're, you're using that technology. And I think that's pretty much the name of the game now. I mean, it's so easy to use and it's, it's right there at your fingertips.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, uh you know, another plus is you have land status on, on these things now, so you don't have to worry, um, am I on private land or public land, you know? None of us want to hunt on public or private land if we can help it, you know? Yeah. And now with the, the technology, really, there's no excuse for it.
0: exactly. Exactly. Well, cool. Well, um, yeah, this has been great, David, and, and lots of good strategy here and, and just stories and, you know, I'm just soaking it all in. That's I'm, I'm learning stuff. I just love to learn from other people. It's been really cool. Um, but before we drop off here, um, let's hear about maybe one of your most memorable elk hunts whether it's rifle or bow or with a group or solo talk to us you know maybe relive one of those kind of most most memorable hunts whether or not you killed anything um just tell us a little story
1: all right well i have two most memorable hunts and i'll try to be brief if i may go for Um, it my, my very first elk hunt 2008 I'm telling my buddies, I'm going to kill a herd bull. I'm going to kill a herd bull and they're (laughs) laughing at me. And, you know, I didn't kill a herd bull that year, but, um, my very first encounter with an elk was a herd bull, knew nothing about calling, called it, called the bull in with the hoochie mama. He came a long ways, maybe 500 yards and stopped at about 20 yards screaming he's behind a bunch of trees i don't have a shot all i can see are bits and pieces of him i could see his antlers good enough to know that he was a monster and he ended up turning around and walking back the same way he came but i came off the mountain that day with the shakes and hooked for life
0: <laughs> i bet
1: so so next couple of years uh after talking to Paul Madell, a.k.a. the Elk Nut, and learning some things and trying different things, um, I killed four cows the next four years. And then 2012, this was my, my, my pinnacle up to that point. I, I had moved to Hawaii to work on the island of Oahu in April. Found out in June, I drew my Gila tag that I put in for. So I flew back home to New Mexico, went hunting. It was a 10 day hunt. At the time, the hunt was split up into three hunts. I had the first 10 days. Um, Elk were silent. Day nine. Well, let me back off of that a little bit. I kept hearing this lazy bugle, but the elk would shut up. He wouldn't respond to calls. Every time I'd go through this meadow, I'd do some cow calls. I'd hear one lazy bugle, and that's it. And I had no idea what that meant. I know what it means now. But um, so day nine, 10 day hunt. Now I'm thinking, well, looks like I'm going home back to Hawaii empty but and empty handed. I'm walking through that meadow again, and it starts raining. So I hunker down under some trees, break out my tarp and my rain gear. And this is at nine o'clock in the morning three o'clock, it stops raining. Finally, let out one cow call, heard a lazy bugle on a a knob to my left, and a full blown uh, screaming bugle with grunts to my right. And more cow calling, I couldn't get them to come and then it just went quiet. So I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to circle around that knob over here back to the south get the wind in my face and work up onto that knob right there where I heard the screaming bull. And if I don't have any action there, I'll work my way down through the saddle and up onto the other knob right there and see if I can make something happen. So I get up onto that first knob, I found where he was bedded down, it was obvious from the smell and the sign. And but he was gone. So I get down into the saddle. And I do a couple cow calls, and the bull screams. He's down in the bottom and he's coming. And I had ranged a couple trees. Uh, and I told myself, well, if the bull comes in on this side of the tree, I'm using my 20 yard pin. If he comes in on the other side of the trees, I'm using my 40 yard pin. The trees were at 30. So this bull, he stops. He's looking, he's about 60 yards and he's coming head on toward me. You know, it would have been a full on frontal had He kept coming in that direction, but he stopped and he's looking and he's bugling and chuckling. So I slowly turned my head and did a cow call behind me and really soft. I mean, really soft with a bugling bulls temptress call. If you're familiar with that. Okay. And This ball turns and he's making a beeline for those two trees that I just ranged. And he was on the other side of those trees. I cow called. He stopped in between this little window of about 18 inches wide. And I was at full draw, touched off the shot. I saw the fletching sticking out. That was all of my arrow that was sticking out. And when I saw the shot location, I immediately started fist pumping. And the bull takes off, and I heard him go down. He only went 40 yards, and that was my first bull. Wow. So uh, I would killed four cows up to that point, and um, I killed one in Colorado and one in New Mexico in 2009, my second year hunting, again in 2010. 20- 10 and one in 2011 uh, and then finally killed my first bull in t- 2012 year. Number five of elk hunting. So, you know, the biggest thing I can tell new guys is kill something. If a cow steps out, kill it. Elk meat's good. Get used <laughs> to the process. Yeah. Learn how to break on an elk, learn, how, learn what it's all about to pack an elk out. Um, because if you keep putting yourself in position, you're going to kill an elk at some point uh, or you're going to kill a bull at some point, you know? So, um, and I've, I killed another one in 2013, another a small bull up in South, Southern South central Colorado, you know, and I've had a string of bad luck since then. It's been four years since I've killed an elk, but, um, I've been into them and my calling has gone to another level, but, that's part of solo hunting, too. When you call, they know exactly where you're at.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a whole different different realm. Um, well, that's really cool, David. I, I really like that story and that evolution and, you know, killing your full first bull. And I love that advice, too. I mean, just get that experience. Pull the trigger. Um, you know, get a cow down. Get whatever is legal down and uh, just kind of yeah build that repertoire and and go through the motions and and your time will come and uh, that's exactly what I'm hearing from you so that's, that's really cool great story um, loved every minute of it can't wait to uh can't wait to start here myself here in just a few weeks
1: well I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you I'm very flattered that you had me on your show uh, I appreciate it um, there's a lot of lot of people elk hunting now and and bow hunting in particular and i hope there's somebody out there that can take something out of this
0: oh definitely definitely this is this is a great episode loved loved all the strategy the tactics and the stories and most importantly the inspiration so um, really appreciate it david you have a great evening and we'll talk to you soon
1: okay look forward to it thanks adam and you have a great hunt good luck to you and and all your buddies who are going to be hunting this year
0: and there it is, another episode in the books. Thanks again to David for coming on the show. Wasn't he a cool guy? I'm, uh, I'm really glad I reached out to him, and um, you know, we even talked after we kind of hung up on the episode here, but we talked for another, you know, twenty or so minutes just just shooting the shit, telling stories. Um, you know, and I honestly feel like he's he's a new friend and and would love to to meet him someday. So, that's just one of the cool things about hunting, about doing this podcast, about doing the blog, about uh, getting involved on social media or on a forum. You never know who you're going to meet and you never know what connections you may make. Um so put yourself out there, uh, get involved on a forum. If, you, if you're if you new to elk hunting, if you're new to hunting, if you're looking for um, an elk hunting partner, a Western hunting partner, somebody go on a hunting trip, uh, forums and some of these Facebook groups are a great place to start. I see so many forums, especially on Rockside, of guys that, oh, my buddy backed out on me or I'm, you know I can't get anybody to go with me to hunt Colorado or hunt elk, what should I do? Um, you know, is there anybody looking to meet up or would hunt together? Um, that's one of the cool things. So start talking on there. You never know who you might meet, never know who, where it could lead to. So, um, if you're kind of lost and you don't have somebody to hunt with, check out those forums. It's a, it's a great place to be and also learn a little bit along the way. So hope you guys enjoyed that. I I definitely want to do more episodes like this where it's just good storytelling tactics Real hunters, real people, public land, doing it yourself, learning the ropes. Um, you know, there's other podcasts out there that have quote unquote celebrity hunters and um, you know, that's cool too. They 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 all have their their wealth of knowledge and knowledge and they're, you know, popular because of that. But I, I love you know, and I'm totally not against that, but I just love hearing from the everyday you know, working man who's out there doing it. And, um, you know, this is one of those episodes. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this. Hope you learned a lot. I certainly did. It's, it's one of those things where I can, and, uh, look back and, and listen to, and, um, you know, I'm sure I'll listen to it a few times and, and learn something on each episode. So, um, again, thanks again for listening. I've been babbling long enough, but before we drop off, Uh, Go get an elk season t-shirt. Transitionwild.com. Go to the shop page. Enter code WILD5 at checkout. You'll get $5 off your order. That's basically like free shipping. $19.99. It's elk season. Celebrate. And uh, get that shipped right to your door. Um, Subscribe to Transitionwild.com. If you do, I will send you the Colorado Beginner Elk Hunting Guide for free. It's a really good resource. It's going to get you started with scouting, um, where to hunt, when to hunt, gear, tactics and most importantly inspiration so it's a 10 page pdf that i put together subscribe give me your email i won't spam you i promise uh, <laughs> but go to transitionwild.com. subscribe i will send you the colorado beginner elk hunting guide for free all right check us out sportsman's nation.com go subscribe there leave us a review be much appreciated thanks again for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon